It's Guarding Tour back on 2NURFM. If you've got a question for Scott Sharp, we've got Dan from Bullaroo, and he's got a bit of a sick tomato plant. Doesn't sound good. Dan, how can we help you? Oh, good day, Scott. How are you? Yeah, pretty well, mate. Mate, um, I'm a pretty avid uh, tomato grower, and um, I've had success in farming like everybody else does. Um, I've got one concern with one of the, my tomatoes. It, it's, a, uh, it's a cross between two heirlooms. It's a big dwarf and a brandy vine. And basically what's happening to it, at the top of the actual tomato plant, it's wilting. And it's always wilting at the top of the plant. And as I sort of let it go, you can actually see that it's increasing going down the plant to the leaves. Right. Okay. Um, what, uh, what, can you describe the colour of the leaves to me? Well, it's basically, um, it's not the same colour as it was. It's, the bottom leaves are a completely different colour and it's more, it's like if you got a piece of plastic and you hit, hit it with a, like a cigarette light and that's what's happening to the leaves up top and they look like a velvet-like material and they curl over and they just wilt up. Even there's some flowers at the top and they're doing the same thing. Now, uh, sorry, Dan, have you... Uh actually pulled one of those plants out to check and see if you've got nematodes on there. No, I haven't. But the reason I'm ringing, I had the same run about three years ago and um, I didn't have a very good season at all. Um, the other plants that I've got in there now, um, they're fine. They're, they're nearly two metres tall and heaps of fruit and everything's good. Um, but just this particular one, I thought, oh, here we go again. <laughs> And and are they and all those ones are in the same area, are they? Yes, yeah, yeah, all the same area. Okay. Look, the the two things I'd probably suggest that you do is pull that sick plant out and have a look at the root system to see if there's any nematodes in there. And nematodes are a parasitic worm that uh, I guess connect up to the the root system of your plant and. Um, you start to get weird nodules on there and the root system doesn't work very well, so then it can't draw up moisture and yeah. you start to get that wilting. Uh, there are different ways of treating um, nematodes. Uh, yeah. Some people say to put molasses in the soil. I'm sure some people will ring up and um, offer us some other options as well because there's no chemical way to get rid of nematodes anymore. The, yeah. the other issue um, could be is um, fusarium wilt. Uh, which is a fungal disease that tomatoes get. Uh, now, to treat that, uh, you'd have to get some sort of systemic fungicide and spray that plant with that and also pour it through the soil so that it's absorbed up uh, through the root system. So they're, they're the two options, but I think probably pulling that plant out and, ins and inspecting the root system of the plant to see what's going on. Now, if you have got uh, nematodes, of course, they're going to be right through that garden bed and yeah. you're going to have to uh, pull them out. Now, these are actually in pots, Scott. Oh, you've got them in pots, have you? Sorry. Yeah, I, large pots, yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, that, look, that's fantastic um, because if, you know, everything's contained then, so if you have got yeah. nematodes in that yeah. soil, then you just discard that soil completely, get rid of it, and start again, and you should be fine. Uh, as well as the fusarium wilt, uh, look, it can travel around as well. A fungal disease yeah. always travels around through the air. Yeah. But, yeah. again, you can just treat that one pot um, with the fungicide and try and keep it under control there. All right, we'll give that a go. One more quick question. Are you a believer in Epsom salts? Yes, yeah, why, why, yeah, why not? Look, uh, and, and that's just, it's got magnesium in it, iron in it. Uh, yeah, there's, there's people, uh, you know, if you go into your garden centre, it's actually called trace elements. 
Uh, so the Epsom salts are really just trace elements. It's got a whole lot of different minerals in there that plants love. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, look, certainly mix some of those up and use them as well. All right. Okay, you've been most helpful. Thank you very much. Okay, good time. luck with it, Dan. Uh, inspect those two uh, those two things and we'll hear yep. back from you what it is. I surely will. Thank you very much Cheers, for your mate. time. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Cheers, Dan. We've got Bernadette from Camwell and she's got a... Well, she's following up about a magnolia that she spoke to us a little bit earlier about. Oh, that was a couple of weeks ago. Hello, Bernadette. How can we help you? Oh, hi. Um, listen, I spoke with you about my magnolia tree. Yes. Um, and it was a bit stressed at the time, and you said to give it uh, water every day, which I have been doing. I just wanted to know how long is that everyday watering going on for? Is that for, for the term of its natural life, or is it... <laughs> Uh, look, that, that sounds a bit harsh for the poor plant, the term of its natural life, but <laughs> is it shooting back for you? Are you starting to see some? Oh, fantastic. Yes. Okay, that, that's really good news. Uh, now, from my memory, it was in a pot, wasn't it, Bernadette? Yes, it is. Yeah, so when a plant is in a pot like that, it's it's going to be you know fairly stressed when it gets hot and windy. Yep. So I would say to you, during the summer months, uh, you know, from, from pretty much now right through until March, April, uh, you would be watering at least once a day. If When it gets really hot in January, you're probably twice a day to keep it going. Okay. Uh, once we go into the cooler months, of course, you can start to, you know, cut that back. Uh, from my memory, you're only watering it once every week or once every fortnight. Yeah, that, about yeah. once a week I was in the winter. Yeah, we had to give you a smack on the wrist about that at the time, I'm pretty <laughs> I sure. Know. Yes. So, look, that that's not enough. Uh, in winter, it can be, you know, it's the humidity drops away, so it can be quite dry. We get winds as well, and that dries the plants out. So you just have to vary your watering to make sure that it's, you know, according to the climatic conditions. Yep. And, uh, you know, just if there's lots of sun out, then, you know, you go and water more often. Uh, once it cools down, if it's raining, uh, you, you don't have to do that. Right. Okay. I didn't know if you could overwater. Well, look, as long as... Have you got a saucer under that pot? No. No. Well, look, you you can't really overwater in a way. Uh, you'd have to be, you know... I would say if it was sitting in a saucer of water and getting wet feet and soaking it up all the time and it became mushy and boggy, yep. then you could be overwatering. But uh, look, generally in a pot, uh, you know, with a large plant like that, you could be watering every day almost all the way through winter and you still won't harm the plant. Oh, terrific. Yeah. All right. That's good to know. Okay. Thank you for the Lovely. call. Lovely. Thank you very much for that. Good luck with it. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. So we've got Frank from Charlestown and he's got a question about the plum tree. Good afternoon, yeah. Frank. How can we help you, mate? Yeah, good on you, Scott. Um, yeah, I've got a mariposa oh, yes? um, yep. plum that... Uh, Four years old. Yes. About three metres high. Um, real, looks in really, really good nick. Um, good, good. But hasn't, hasn't fruited at all. And um, I understand that I should have another plum, which I planted a Santa Rosa um, a couple of years ago. Yes, very good. Um, two years ago, it started to, this is the mariposa, started to flower, but there weren't many flowers on the tree. This year, there were a lot more flowers, um, but none on on the Santa Rosa. So, you know, no cross-pollination. So I tried uh, to hand-pollinate it. Yes. And um, I found the stamens in the flowers were so tiny and delicate. I don't know whether I did the job or not, you know. But um, I've been feeding it, you know, flower and fruit. Yes. Um, so I need help. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, look, you do. With with your mariposa, and I guess most plums, they're, you know, they're sort of 
semi-self-fertile, so you might get a few fruit off them. Uh, but generally, like you've discovered, you actually need a cross-pollinator. Uh, and there's a, a great long list of cross-pollinators for, you know, different, uh, you know, stone fruit. So you have to make sure you get exactly the right one. Sounds like you have. Uh, but now you're running into the problem where we're not getting flowers on it at the same time. Uh, we're not getting flowers at all. The quality of flower isn't very good. And unfortunately, you do. You need the bees to be going from one plum to the next plum and, and you know, taking that pollen over there and doing the right thing and, and fertilising both plants. Uh, look, what I would suggest for you, uh, you said you're using a, a flower and fruit fertiliser. What are you using? Um, a Thrive. thrive oh, okay, so you're using a liquid fertiliser like that. So they're uh, a, a you know, general all-purpose fertiliser. Great to use them. Uh, I, I'd be inclined to get a sort of a, a heavier fertiliser. Now, are your plants uh, in the ground or have you got them in pots? No, in the ground. In ground, okay. So I would be inclined to go and get a, a heavier fertiliser, one of those granular ones. Uh, I'm just trying to think which one would be appropriate for you. Uh, probably not a citrus one, but uh, if you just go and get a, a, a general purpose granular fertiliser, uh, you can get, you know, it used to be called Grow Plus back in the day, I remember. It. It's just that, you know, that white sort of chemically uh, fertiliser that you can get. I'd be sprinkling some of that around and doing it more regularly. In addition to that, mate, I'd be getting some sulphate of potash because it promotes flowering in all plants and it promotes the uh, standard, you know, the, it improves the quality of the flower as well. Uh, now, I always say to people, it's not just a one-off. You have to start using it regularly, you know, every month or so, start building that pot up, potash up in the soil because it does drain away out of the soil. It doesn't hang around for very long. And uh, get, get that up into the plant for next year so that you get a, a better standard, I guess, of, of flower that the bees can come and do their, their thing with. Okay. All right. That's, that's terrific. I've used potash, just granular potash, yes. but not regularly like you're suggesting at all. Yeah, look, only, you only occasionally. Yeah, you, you definitely so have to use it regularly because it does, uh, you know, disappear out of out yep. of the soil after a certain period of time. So you want it to be building up in the plant uh, come flowering time. Terrific. Okay. Well, that's yeah, that's the best positive advice I've received for a long time. Okay, that's great. Thank you very Thank much, me. Frank. Appreciate it. Thank. Good, Scott. Bye bye. We got Jen now from Macquarie Hills, and speaking of trees, she's talking about the pear tree. Yeah, pear tree. Jen, how can we help? Um, I just wanted to ask you about a pear tree. Yes. Um, it's, it, he's got it growing in the thing at Macquarie Hill, um, and it's got sort of lumps along the. It's not doesn't look like gall wasp, but just um, along the stems, you know. And then it'll stop growing for a while on that stem, but then it'll shoot out and off it goes again. So you're saying it's actually on the branches? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Um, that sounds a little bit unusual. What could that one be? Um, pear trees. I mean, they don't really like growing down here in Newcastle very well. Anyway, you're not you're not going to get much fruit off that. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering if you've got some sort of uh, you know mite or canker going through that plant. Um, we're getting the blistering under the bark. Is it weeping sap as well? Or? No, no. It's just nice, smooth, shiny. Them. Yeah, yeah, and and then it just stops growing from there and um, moves on again, does it? After a little while. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, look, I, I think it's probably some sort of fungal disease that you've got. I would be treating with a systemic fungicide that plant. 
Uh, look, there's various ones out there on the market, but when you go to your garden centre, you want to make sure that it's a systemic fungicide that you're getting so that it gets oh. drawn up through the plant. And, uh, oh, right. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. The systemic one. Yeah, right. Yes, that's what you, that's what you need. Now, uh, the other thing that they can get um, is, you know, they can get a bit of canker, you know, like most plants can. I, I'm thinking that that fungicide might help you out with that as well, though. All righty, yeah. Then, thank okay. you. That's all right. Thank Not you. a problem. Thank you very much for that, Jan. Good. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. And from Newcastle East, we've got Shireen, and she's got a question about Epsom salts. Good afternoon. How can we help you? Oh, hello, Scott. Um, you made a comment earlier about Epsom salts having trace elements in them, and I was just wondering if I was using a nine-liter watering can, how much Epsom salt would I use, and how frequently would I put it on my plants? And are there any plants that I shouldn't put it on, please? Yeah. Now, this is the problem with using Epsom salts that you go and get at the chemist because there's no actual, uh, I guess, you know, dilution rate on there. Uh, to use on plants. So that's why yeah. I always say go and get trace elements from your actual your garden centre. Then you've got your instructions on there how much to use. Uh, but look, in a nine-litre watering can, I would just be using, you know, for instance, a couple of teaspoons on that. Um, and, and again, it depends on how strong those Epsom salts are. But if you're doing that, it's a fairly safe mixture ratio. And how often would I be able to use it on plants? And are there any plants that I should avoid? Yeah, no, look, mate, you can use them on all plants. Uh, Epsom salts, yep. uh, you know, it's got magnesium in there, uh, yep. potassium. It has uh, also, you know, some boron as well, which is, uh, you know, a sort of a one that you don't want to overuse. But because it's only in such a small amount, it's safe to use it when you're doing it in that sort of overall mixture of Epsom salts or trace elements. Uh, look, every couple of weeks, I would say that would uh, about okay. do it. Uh, you can actually also use it as a foliar spray, so you can uh, water it or spray it over the plant. And oh, okay. it's really just helping, it's feeding the plant, it's helping the, you know, the plant produce chlorophyll, so you get a nice green plant. Um, I, I think most people would you know, need to use it when you start seeing your leaves yellowing off or you're starting to see the veins of the leaves sticking out or changing yep. colour. And that's when you need to make sure that you're using regularly some sort of trace element to keep the plant healthy. That's awesome. Thanks, Scott. I love your mum, Judy. I love going to Sharps in Derby Street. And um, I hope you have a great day. And I love 2NURFM as well. Oh, thank you, Shereen. Nice to get that in as well. (laughs) (laughs) See you. See you. Thank you. We've got Sally now from Merriweather, and she's got a question about nutgrass and onionweed. Good afternoon, Sally. How can we help you? Hey, Scott. Um... I'm a fairly new gardener and I've been um, trying to get rid of nut grass. Um, I left it for ages because I thought it was grass and then (laughs) somebody kindly put me right and boy... Yes, look, it's a nice green colour, I guess, and yes, um, it's yes. called grass, but uh, yeah, it's it's not doing exactly what you want it to do. No, and I, I've done a little bit of research, and I somebody, you know, there's products that you can spray on your lawn for clover and nutgrass. Yes. But then in the beds, it doesn't appear that there's anything you can do, and some people have even said, mm, perhaps you have to remove the soil, which... It's kind of drastic. Yes. Yeah, so now, have you actually got it throughout the lawn or in uh, your garden pits? Both. Both. Okay. So yeah. that that look that is going to be difficult for you. There mm. is a paspalum and nutgrass killer out there that you can use to try and keep it under control. 
Um, but I would say the best thing for you to be doing would be using zero, you know, a glyphosate product, but using it very, very carefully um, in the garden bed. You can't use that glyphosate uh, on the lawn uh, because it will kill anything that it touches. Uh, now, when you're doing that with the nutgrass, I would almost, you know, you get your, your spray head uh, on your on your sprayer. I would make some sort of little funnel up, even if it's just out of some paper or some heavy cardboard. And then you can, as you put that uh, spray head down, you can you know, almost put the funnel over the top of the nutgrass and contain yes. the spray so it's not going to go elsewhere. Now, yes. the only plant that's, uh, I guess, a little bit um, problematic for you if you've got roses in the garden as well. Do you have no. that? No. Okay, so no. um, you can't really use glyphosate. Well, you can't use glyphosate or zero around roses. It, it deforms them and mutates them, so you have to be very oh. careful about that. And is that a, a brand name? Uh, look, the, zero is a brand name, but there's lots okay. of different ones out there, and glyphosate right, right. is the active constituent uh, right. in, in that chemical. Uh, so you just have to get down nice and low, make sure it's contained, do it either in you know the morning when it's still or at dusk when it's still. Uh, and uh, you know you don't want any rain as well for about five hours. Uh, that will be absorbed in through the nutgrass. It will die, um, but you have to be careful. Um, now, you, have you I got have a dog? <laughs> uh, that, that's all right. Don't be concerned yeah. about that. Just keep um, the dog off there until it's dry. Okay, now, Thanks. did you say you've got nutgrass and onion weed? Um, I have, uh, there's one place that I discovered some onion weed, yes. Yeah, so I is, didn't know what it was until I started weeding, and now I can see why, because of the bulb. So it, it's got a, a, a wider, uh, I guess almost a lighter colour. Um, it looks like an onion, doesn't it? The, you know, even yes. the leaf looks like an onion. Now, the main thing to do with that is don't try and pull it out. Don't try and dig it out, uh, because oh. it, it's a very, very clever little plant. If you try and pull it out, all it does is just sort of sloughs off the little bulblets down yes. there around yes. the root, and they just stay in there, and they just multiply, and off you go. So right. with onion weed, perseverance and using glyphosate is about the only way to get rid of it, I would suggest. And just just to educate myself, that is the one with the white flower that when it flowers, is that... Yes, that, that's know, correct. It yes, has a, a yes. pretty little white flower that you look at and go, oh, that's nice, but mm, it's just no. spreading and spreading everywhere and it's not a good thing at all. So, both, so that, that glycosate is good for both of Yes, uh, look, it's a, it's, an, it's a complete weed killer. So as I said, anything that it touches, it will kill. Um, can I paint it on in difficult areas? Yes, you certainly can do that. Okay. Um, yeah, but look, that's just a little bit tedious. That's why I was suggesting you yes, make up a, some sort of funnel for your spray head uh, yes. so you can put it down over the top of the weed, almost lock it down to the ground if you wanted to and give it a quick spray. Uh, and then, it's you know, it's not going to go anywhere on other plants. Well, at least there's hope. <laughs> <laughs> there certainly is, and you need some perseverance, unfortunately. Yes. You've, yes. Let, it, you've okay. let it run. You've let the beast oh, out gosh. of the cage. Yeah, now you've got to get yeah. it back in. Thanks, Scott. Okay, thank you very much for All that, right. Sally. Bye-bye. Bye, then. Bye. And we've got Sharon from Cessnock, and she's got a question about the ornamental grapevine. Hello, Sharon. How can we help you? Oh, good afternoon, guys. Just uh, a quick question. I've got, a, I think, a decorative grapevine. Yes. Uh, it kind of gets a little bunch of something, and it just blows away. Yep. So it doesn't form into any grapes. But I, last year, I noticed some caterpillars on it. Um, and... Problem is, we've realised too late that the caterpillars then go to the brickwork at the home, and they actually dig out the mortar and get into the bricks. 
Greg and I are just here quizzically looking at each other. So you're, you're, you're saying you've got caterpillars on your grapevine, on your ornamental grape, and they then go over onto your brickwork on your house. Yes. And they eat the mortar out of the house. That? I've got very old homes, over 100 years old. Yes. The mortar is a sandy kind of mortar. Yes. Because uh, the, the grapevine's on the edge of the veranda, which provides lovely screens for yes. summer. And the brickwork, we, we notice these little piles of the sand from the brick from the mortar. And then my daughter saw the caterpillars actually going up to the brickwork and like digging out the, the mortar. Wow, that uh, that's yeah. I've never heard of that before. That's that's really unusual. Yes, but well, yeah. I didn't bother, really bother with them because you know the you know great circle of life and all that, and they you know the, the grapevine and and um, such. You know, I'm quite happy to sort of live and be. But then, if getting into my brickwork, yeah. <laughs> well, look, I, I think you are going to have to do something. Otherwise, they're going to bring the house down around your exactly. head, and that, that's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So you, you are going to need some sort of spray uh, and just generally spray that grapevine to uh, keep the moths that are laying the eggs and then the caterpillars under control as well. Now, right. there's a product called Dipel, which is a bio-insecticide. Uh, right. If you want to, that gets rid of caterpillars. Otherwise, generally, I would just use a pyrethrum spray to spray, keep any you know the moths that are laying those eggs and any caterpillars under control as well. Right. So pyrethrum is a nice, safe spray to use. It's not going to, you know, be harmful. Um, just make sure there's no bees around. It's an ornamental grapevine, so chances are there's not going to be too many bees around anyway. Um, right. Just, just generally spray every couple of weeks to try and keep those under control. Okay, because it's just um, uh, the leaves that come on in the last couple of weeks, and I, yesterday I noticed that they are got a few holes in them already. So I can't see any caterpillars, and I've got to start jasmine amongst it as well so it's a sort of all the one vine um, yes yeah I mean, and look sna- snails judgment. snails are really prevalent at the moment as well so it could be those but uh, oh, look okay. just generally spraying with some pyrethrum is not going to be harmful uh, and mm-hmm. hopefully just keep that uh, you know that problem a little bit contained for you yeah yeah well I'll, I'll keep an eye out for any piles of sand from the yeah. on the veranda from the brickwork but um, yeah, no, bizarre, I know. Uh, yeah, and if any, look, if anyone else has heard of, uh, you know, caterpillars yes. eating mortar, <laughs> mortar yes. um, love to hear about it. Love yeah, to hear about so, it. as I say, it's an old home, so it's not cement. Yeah. It's, it's the old sand. Yes. Sandy yeah. type mortar. So they're, they're digging into the, whether they're going in there to hibernate for the, till next season, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, very strange, yeah. Yeah. All right, I appreciate it. Okay, well, thank you oh, very much. More, yeah, that's all I showed yeah, you. One more quick question. Indoor happy plants yes. going yellow leaves. Too much water or not no. Sorry, say so what's happening with the leaves? They're going yellow. Uh, and how wet is the soil at the moment? Not very. Yeah, look, I'd probably just increase your watering in that case. Uh, how much are you watering the plant? Oh, about, you know, half a cup every couple of days. Oh, look, that, that's not too bad. Is it sitting in a saucer of water or not? It is now. It hasn't mm. been, but I just noticed this morning that it the saucer is full, so... Okay, look, I, I would probably... I wouldn't think that a happy off. plant likes sitting in a saucer of water like that, yeah. so I, I'd take that away. Uh, you know, you, you half a cup, um, you know, every couple of days might be a touch excessive, uh, okay. you know, probably down to, you know, two, three times a week. 
um, no. with that amount and see how you go. But certainly don't let it sit in a saucer of water. All right. Lovely. Appreciate your help. Though. Okay. Thank you, Have Sharon. Good Thank luck you. with the house. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. That's a strange one. That was a very odd one. That's not something I've heard of before. Maybe they're burrowing into it and nesting or... Nesting, yeah. Brick-eating or mortar-eating caterpillars. They've got to have some sharp teeth, those things. I wouldn't want to have to get bitten by one. No, you wouldn't, would you? Just take, straight through. Take your finger off. <laughs> Murray from Belmont, and he's got a question about avocados. Hi, Murray. How can we help? Yeah, day, Scott. Uh, I've got an avocado... I've actually got two avocado trees now because the one that I want to talk to you about is uh, on its last chance. If it doesn't do something this year, it's going to be pulled out. Yeah, poor thing. <laughs> how, yeah. how old's that one, Murray? I've had it for about five years. Yep. Um, it's getting flowers on it, but it's the saddest looking plant. The leaves are always drooping, and I've tried all different sorts of fertilizers and different things that people have told me to try on it, even the bloke that I bought it off. But it's just, um, it's just uh, a sad-looking plant. It gets flowers on it and things like that, but they, they open up and then they slowly just fall off. Uh, how, how, how big is that plant now? You said it's five years old. How big is it now? Oh, it's probably up to about the middle of me, uh, you know, between my knees and my hips sort of thing. Oh, so, it's so only, about, it really only is only a little puppy then? Yeah, but it wasn't. It hasn't, it hasn't grown much. The one that I've, I've bought... <laughs> Um, six months ago is um, is growing and looking happy. It's it's in the pot next to it. Yep, and it's looking happy and growing and doing its thing. Where this one is um, not happy at all. More the soil that it's in is um, clay, but I, I put a drainage bit for the for the water to run away when I when I dug the hole and put it in. And I've done soil sweeteners and all that sort of stuff, but it just you know, like I say, it's on its last legs. If it doesn't do something, it's going. <laughs> now, mate, you said one's in a pot, the one that's growing. Yep. And the and the one that that's the the problem child is yep. in the ground. Is it? Yep. Okay, mate. I I think that's going to be the case. You said you've got very clay soil. Avocados don't like that at all. Uh, yep. I think it's really struggling in those soil conditions. Even though you've tried to drain away the water. Uh, it's it's just going to struggle in those conditions. Full stop uh, for yep. you. Uh, now, look, the uh, the only way to cure that is to try and get it into a pot. And avocados are really a big plant. You know, it's not something you're going to grow successfully in a pot for a, you know a, a great deal of time. The, yep. the other way to do it is to dig the little beast out and then dig as like a a big hole. You know, a, a fairly large hole, breaking up that clay as much as yep. possible getting some organic matter in there, some better soil um, in there. Also some liquid gypsum. Uh, that will help break that clay up. You can also get powdered gypsum as well if you want to and dig that through. But the best yeah. thing you can do is is dig it, break it up, and get some better soil in there to try and help the thing out and then replant it in that area. But that yeah. that it's that's exactly the reason why it's struggling because they just don't like clay soils. Right. So a bloke, one bloke told me that it's uh, they they like to be um, like uh, put in sort of above the soil, above the line of the soil, you know, like a heaped up, mm-hmm. put them up above the soil. Is is that right? Well, that, that could be one way of you know sort of combating the clay. So you actually build it up in a mound and give it some space. But as soon as those 
roots go down and hit the clay soil, that's when yep. it's going to stop and get very unhappy then. So you can build it up. Uh, it'll, yep. it'll give you some more time, I guess, is the best way to look at it. Uh, even, yep. even the way I'm describing digging it in and getting the gypsum in there is only going to give it a certain amount of time, but hopefully it'll get to a reasonable size where it can actually uh, give you some fruiting and flowering. Yeah, right, then. Okay. All right, I'll give it a go and uh, so, hopefully it works. Yeah, where, where are you at Belmont, mate? Is it? Um, I'm um, Belmont North. Oh, okay, so you're up, you're up on the hill a bit, are you? Uh, no, no, I'm near the, you know Belmont? Yeah, yeah a little bit, yeah. I'm yeah. near where the John Darwin pit used to be. Right, okay, okay. Yeah, look, I, I think it's going to be clay, yeah, like you said, the clay soil, that's going to be the issue there for, for your plant. Yeah, all right. Okay, mate. Okay, thanks a lot, Scott. Good luck with it. Cheers, Murray Popper. Bye. All right, we've got Norma now from Chain Valley Bay, and she's got a question about her roses. Hey, Norma, how can we help you with them? Oh, Scott, look, I have got a problem with my roses. Um, look, um, I, when I pruned them in July, I, I did the usual things, put cow manure around them, and uh, later on put some uh, rose food. But look, they've cut, smothered with aphids, and I've sprayed them three times with um, rose shields. And um, I've even ha- tried to ho- I've hosed them off. Yes. But they, they're green aphids and they're just smothered in them. The, the roses seem to be stunted. There's not lovely shoots like they should be. I've been growing them for oh, about, some of them are about 20 years old. But this year it's all gone wrong. Yeah, I, I reckon it's been a terrible year for aphids this year. They're just out and about. Uh, and they're just loving the roses at the moment. And I don't know how they do it. They just smell them. They see the colour of the new shoots on the rose. I, I don't know how the aphids do it, but they they just flock there. And like you said, they're all up and down that new growth. They're little, oh, yeah. Yeah, they're little proboscises in, into the soft flesh of the plant, yeah. and they're yeah. just sucking it out. It wilts. It it's, uh, gets all horrid and stunted like you were describing. Yeah. Uh, now, look, you've been using the rose shield. That's that's fine. I think with rose shield, it's a, it's a mixture of a fungicide and a an insecticide together I would probably get something a little bit uh, tougher um, to use on the aphids, some malathon Uh, if you didn't want to go as tough as that you could just mix up some pyrethrum and use that Uh, but unfortunately you're just going to have to be regularly spraying uh, to keep those aphids under control at the moment there's not much else you can do Uh, like you know you could go out there and spray this morning and then five hours later this afternoon they'll be back again well that's how it's been you know I've looked at and I, I, I thought look I as I say I was desperate I got the hose and sprayed them Oh, yeah, I, I think. I don't know what else to do, but as you say, it's a bad year for them and and I've not had this before. Yeah, uh, and I think they have just been growing so well. There's lots of you know nice, soft, juicy growth on there, so the aphids are naturally saying, ha-ha, time to have a feed this year. <laughs> you know, they've been, their tummies have been rumbling and it's a good time for them. Uh, right. But we're here to spoil that party and uh, I, I think, yeah, some malathon, uh, and spraying it, you know, fairly regularly. Uh, or if you don't want to go quite as harsh as that, you can use pyrethrum and try and keep them under control. Now, how often would you would you do that, um, Scott? Well, look, I'm thinking every you know couple of days, oh, you know, right. to initially get get it under control. Yes. And then I'd just go out and monitor it. If you see some on there, give it a spray. Right. Um, you know, so you might you might cut back to every you know four days after that, but I would think yeah. every day, you know, and every second day initially oh, is what you're going to need to get a bad case like that under right. control. Because I was leaving two weeks be- between sprays. Oh as no! It, as it said on the you know the container, 
right. I haven't been desperate enough, have I? <laughs> no, you haven't been. <laughs> yeah. All right then, Scott. I'll, I'll do that. And um, thank you very much. That's right. Have a lovely afternoon, Norma. Good luck with it. Thank you, Scott. Bye bye. Thank you very much, Norma and Scott Sharp. We're out of time for another week. Oh, it always goes so quickly. It is flying by today. Quickest hour in my life. Wow. Yeah, every single Monday, just I want to get an hour done, I come here. <laughs> it's a 60 minutes <laughs> gone in. Scott Sharp, we'll see you again next Monday. Yeah, talk to you then. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com. <laughs>